Welcome to this podcast of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Venice, Florida. It is the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, and you will hear Father Joe Hudson speak on Luke 16:19. As you listen, see if you can answer some of these questions. The questions: 1. What are the things that hinder God's reign? 2. What are some of the things we hear about the poor and disenfranchised of our day? And three, what was the pecking order in the time of Jesus, and how did he overturn it? Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus said, There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he was being tormented, and he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus to dip his finger in the water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things. And Lazarus, in a like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us, a great chasm has been fixed, so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. He said, no, Father, Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord.
In the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus said this, The kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there. For the kingdom of God is already among you. You see, the kingdom of God is like fruit that is slowly ripening from the vine of Jesus Christ. Each of us are fruit attached to that vine. This fruit of the reign of God is slowly ripening all over our city, our nation, and our world. And yet, there is also a counterforce hindering its ripening. Whenever there is animosity between people, the ripening of God's reign is being hindered. Whenever there is inequality and disparity between peoples, the reign of God is hindered. When people have less access to shelter and food and the means to make a decent living, the reign of God is being hindered. When powerful people and corporations can buy politicians in order to make policies that advance them and not others, the reign of God is hindered. Whenever people are hindered from finding a safe place to live, free from gangs and violence, the reign of God is hindered. In America, the well-to-do and well-off usually land at the apex of the social ladder, near the top of the economic, social, political, religious, and economic and academic pyramid. Many who find themselves in such a lofty position frequently are less aware of the disparities that exist in society, the gap between the fortunate and less fortunate they often do not really understand the extent of the harsh realities of life that many others are experiencing, unaware of the grinding, scary, day-to-day struggle for survival of those who find themselves further down America's socioeconomic pyramid. Over the years, I have had the opportunity to engage in conversations with some of these more fortunate individuals. When they compare their lives to that of others, they have sometimes said things like this. You need to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Or, if those people would just earn an honest living. Or, they're just lazy and want the government to give them a free handout. Well, these kinds of words often betray a limited understanding of the difficulties and struggles and desperation and fear of many people living all over our country. Individuals and families who are just trying to survive day to day or month to month. We may have some of those in our own families. I do as well. These kinds of people are one illness or one catastrophe away from economic ruin. Many times they have no health insurance or very inadequate insurance and forget about the possibility of dental and vision. 
These individuals see policies and laws stacked intractably against them, favoring instead those with the means and wherewithal and the connections. But you see, America is not alone in this regard. Many societies around the globe experience these inequalities and disparities as well. But this is not just a 21st century reality. Things weren't that much different 2,000 years ago in first century Palestine. When Jesus walked this earth, there was a clear social pecking order as well that influenced economic potential. Their civil society was run by the religious elites through the Sanhedrin, the civil council and judicial tribunal of the land. Every city had a Sanhedrin council made up of 23 rabbis. And yes, of course, all 23 of these rabbis were men. Then there was the great Sanhedrin, the council in Jerusalem, made up of 21 rabbis, led by the high priest. The great Sanhedrin held religious, civil, and criminal jurisdiction over all the Jewish people throughout the nation. If you were to look at the social pecking order in Israel, these men were at the apex of Jewish society's pyramid. And alongside the Sanhedrin were those of kingly lineage. In first century Palestine, that was the lineage of Herod the Great, who had died in 4 BCE. His Jewish territory had been divided between his three sons, Archelaus, Herod Antipas, and Philip II. But we must remember that at the time, Palestine was under Roman occupation, and anyone who was of Jewish royal blood would have been required to show obedience to Rome. And since the Jewish people despised the Romans and their oppressive military rule, the three sons of Herod the Great, these royal appeasers of Rome, would have been knocked down a few rungs in the Jewish social ladder. Next in line in the social ladder were other professional men, and somewhere further down, common tradesmen, then fishermen, women, Samaritans, than those who collected taxes for Rome. This was how the system worked. This was how society functioned. Like it or not, everyone knew their place. This social pecking order was vividly on display at most Jewish activities and events and functions. It was seen there on the temple grounds, in the marketplace, in the home, at weddings and funerals and birthday parties and anniversaries, you would know, without really thinking about it, who you could invite and who you couldn't, where the men were allowed to gather and where the women must gather, who could sit at the table together and where they were seated based on their social status and their relationship to the host. But Jesus came on the scene and attempted to knock over this social ladder and throw things all topsy-turvy. He flipped this whole cultural system on its head and inside out. We might ask, why? As a religious teacher, why would he do such a thing? If Jesus had come to establish a new or better faith-based religious system, 
Why, oh why, was he so engaged, so far afield, messing around and mucking into long-established social norms and mores? Surely these things had nothing to do with faith or religion. Surely dealing with cultural and socioeconomic issues wasn't within his purview. Why was Jesus doing this work? Well, he was doing it because he had come not to establish new or revised religious doctrines or liturgy, but to work at establishing a kingdom, the reign of God here on earth. And this reign required him to mess around with the social structure. It's no wonder he was crucified. It involved ethics and morals and justice and social realignment. The expectations of God's kingdom, of God's reign, was frequently antithetical to the way that many societies run. Today's gospel story speaks to this topsy-turvy reign of God. Jesus juxtaposed two individuals, a rich man and a poor beggar, placing them side by side in the same story. (laughs) This would have immediately caught the crowd's attention. First, Jesus introduced the people to a very rich man dressed in the finest of clothes. He lived a good lifestyle. This kind of man would have been near the top of the Jewish social pyramid. But then Jesus introduced his hearers to a poor beggar named Lazarus, a man who lived just outside the rich man's gate. His home was in the dust and filth and gutter. As the people listened to Jesus that day, they began making judgments about these two men, sizing them up, deciding where they belonged in the social pecking order. Many in the crowd were familiar with men who were in many ways like this rich man, men encountered on the temple grounds and in the synagogues. They were a common feature within decent religious society. But this rich man was contrasted in Jesus' story by a poor, wound-infested beggar, a man to be pitied and sympathized with, surely, but not someone you enjoy hanging around with, or someone that was expected to be at the temple or in the synagogue. This Lazarus was near the bottom of the social ladder. Jesus said of Lazarus, this in his story. At the rich man's gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. You see, Lazarus was acquainted with the bodily grumblings of an empty stomach as he sat there in discomfort day by day, the flies buzzing around and the dogs licking his open sores. It was an uncomfortable picture for the people to imagine, but the story also captivated their attention. They wondered where the story was going. Jesus spoke further, saying this, Finally, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to sit beside Abraham at the heavenly banquet. The rich man also died and was buried, and he went to the place of the dead. There, in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity 
I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted, and Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted, and you are in anguish. I can picture the incredulous looks on the people in the crowd that day as they listened to Jesus' story. They couldn't believe their ears. Surely Jesus had made a mistake and got in the end of the stories flipped around and backwards. They were expecting the well-to-do, good, upstanding religious man to be the one in heaven, comfortably conversing with Father Abraham. But instead... It was the filthy beggar, Lazarus. But you see, the ways of God's eternal society is meant to be structured in a different way than many earthly human societies are structured. Jesus understood that the realm of God was frequently antithetical and topsy-turvy to how the human realm functioned. We see Jesus' priorities when he chose to call calloused, stinky fishermen to be his disciples rather than intellectual giants. Jesus' entourage included women, zealots, and even one of those despised tax collectors, Matthew. Jesus even played with children. He ate with sinners. He hung out with women of ill repute. The fruit of the reign of God dwelt fully within the body of Jesus of Nazareth. He passed on God's priorities to his 12 common ordinary disciples, teaching and showing them how to abide in Jesus Christ the vine, and thereby ripening the fruit of the reign of God within them and around them. These 12 drew still others to the life and ways and love and priorities of this reign of God. And as this happened, more fruit developed and began to ripen. You and I sit here as fruit of that self-same kingdom of God, slowly ripening on Jesus Christ the vine. The words I pray at the end of each Sunday's service are the ways you and I continue to grow and ripen. As we pray, worship, learn, break bread, share life, heal neighbors, bear good news, seek justice, rest and grow in the spirit. May each of us continue to ripen the reign of God that is within us and expand the reign of God around us as we love and heal and speak out and care for others. Amen. the questions. One, what are the things that hinder God's reign? Two, what are some of the things we hear about the poor and disenfranchised of our day? And three, what was the pecking order in the time of Jesus and how did he overturn it?
Welcome to this podcast of the Episcopal Church of the Good Shepherd in Venice, Florida. It is the 16th Sunday after Pentecost, and you will hear Father Joe Hudson speak on Luke 16:19. As you listen, see if you can answer some of these questions. The questions. 1. What are the things that hinder God's reign? 2. What are some of the things we hear about the poor and disenfranchised of our day? And 3. What was the pecking order in the time of Jesus, and how did he overturn it? <laughs> 